Good morning and welcome to Dialogue and Debate. My name is Ed Newell and I'm the Chief Executive here at Cumberland Lodge. Dialogue and Debate is a regular series of interactive webinars on topical, ethical and societal issues with guest contributors from a range of backgrounds and perspectives. In all our discussions at Cumberland Lodge, we focus on building social cohesion and breaking down silo thinking. Last time on Dialogue and Debate, we discussed youth loneliness and how the government, charities and the education sector can support those effective. And a recording of this is still available on our website. Today, we're exploring the role of the arts in building social cohesion, the challenges the, the sector currently faces through COVID and what the future of the arts may be post pandemic. And to do this, we're pleased to welcome four panelists. Jessica Jundu Evans is Chair of Trustees at South Hill Park Arts Centre in Bracknell. Just to say that Jessica has to leave early, so she will vanish at some point during the, the webinar. Uh, Jane Corrie is Chief Executive and Artistic Director of Norden Farm Centre for the Arts in Maidenhead. James Potter is a writer, composer and conductor with a portfolio of roles, including Director of the Cathedral Singers of Christchurch, Oxford. And Luke Rittner is Chief Executive of the Royal Academy of Dance and previously Secretary General of the Arts Council of Great Britain. Thank you all so much for joining us. And to those who are watching this morning, do please get involved and submit any questions you'd like to put to our panellists as we go along. You can submit questions via the Q&A function if you're watching on Zoom or by tweeting at Cumberland Lodge or commenting on our Facebook live stream. We're going to start with Jessica and let's start on a positive note. So Jessica, perhaps you can start by sharing with us some examples of how the arts can build social cohesion and connect people from diverse backgrounds. Yeah, sure, thanks Ed. Um, I guess the first thing to say is that the great thing about arts is that is the diversity of art forms and media by which people can can contribute and access and engage and interact with it um, it means that you can find a way to connect in with arts that's accessible to you um, find the right channels in order to get to those those sort of messages and and arts challenges and and questions in a, in a non-threatening um, way it sort of really provokes thought um, and consideration I guess some examples would be quite timely at the moment as a result of the pandemic is that obviously everybody's been thinking about how we reach people digitally. Um, and I think what that's done is, is brought to the fore and made, and made us really think about how we can access people, get them to engage, contribute back um, in a digital or, or virtual way. And in particular, how we break down some of those barriers for people that can't engage quite so well, perhaps don't even have access to digital technology, um, which has been really fascinating thinking about how you can take arts to people that don't have Wi-Fi or a laptop or any kind of technological means. So, so I know that at South Hill Park, they've got some... Um, funding to reach people virtually um, and particularly trying to reach hard to reach perhaps people that won't come into the art centre and it sort of really forced them to think about how they can engage with them by not necessarily asking them to come through the doors but engaging with them um, across a screen. Um, also just to mention that I'm, I'm Deputy Director at the Corn Exchange Arts Centre in Newbury and they are also doing a really interesting piece where they're actually delivering arts packs out to people who don't have technological means and in getting them to engage in art um, 
that way by, by, by delivering my pack every week and then sort of bringing it back and collecting and, and sharing. Um, they will have a sharing once they can all, all meet eventually. So, so yeah, sort of really thought provoking ways to, to challenge um, how we reach people with arts uh, at the moment is, is, is quite an interesting topic. Thank you. And really following on from that, if I can turn to, to Jane, I mean, the arts is just full of creative, highly imaginative people. And we've already got a sense here that the pandemic is, is um, sparking different use of the arts um, to break down barriers and to connect people across uh, communities and across the globe. If so, do you think these sorts of changes are going to have a lasting impact on the, on the arts? Oh, really interesting question. I mean, certainly it had the pandemic has had a big impact on how we personally at Northern Farm deliver our arts projects. And it's made us and I think lots of other people much more confident about working in the digital world for sure. Um, and the way that people can get involved, as Jessica was saying, is, is really quite, quite radical, that people are able to um, contribute content. It's, it's a kind of cultural democracy, isn't it? That people can really create their own work and share that with such a large audience. And I think the way that we've been able to reach out beyond our natural and physical barriers. I mean, just as a, as, as a small example, the way that Northern Farm has been live streaming gigs from the main stage over the summer, which uh, in the beginning was really just about trying to respond to musicians who weren't able to get together and, and rehearse and play. But then actually what we found is that we were able to reach out to audiences in different countries across the globe, which was astonishing. I mean, Little Northern Farm's never done that before. We might have got as far as Basingstoke, but that's about it. <laughs> and suddenly, you know, our local chamber orchestra, our jazz musicians, they were performing to people in Perth. I mean, it's astonishing. And of course, this has been such a terribly hard time for artists. And I don't want to be Pollyanna about it and say, oh, but isn't it all wonderful? But there have been little moments of absolute joy where the pandemic has forced us to work in ways that we just haven't considered before. And I, I think, yes, some of these are longer lasting. Just to, again, a simple example, bringing it back to Northern Farm, what we're doing in uh, the autumn season is that we are presenting blended performances so that people can be in the room with the musicians in a very socially distanced auditorium, but they can equally take part by uh, being at home and watching it from their sofa. And for something like classical music or jazz, which isn't necessarily known for its uh, interactivity, although I'm, I'm sure my colleagues will, will correct me with lots of fabulous examples where it is, but certainly in our venue, it hasn't been known for that. We would think more to comedy or, or something like that for, for more interactivity. Um, by having these blended performances, by live streaming gigs and having um, a live um, chat bar on the screen, we have had audience members talking to musicians. Joanna McGregor did a fabulous gig couple of weeks ago and she was chatting all the way through and people were putting through questions and she was talking about her journey and why she'd selected the pieces and the, and the way that it all worked and it actually gave a, a really 
different angle to the event and hopefully you know brought new people in so um I've, I've talked enough. <laughs> yeah. Exciting that's, things. That's, that's a really good. Now, before we go on to, um, to some other uh, panelist questions, we're just going to do a very quick poll just to get a flavour of, of, of uh, the audience reaction to, uh, to this topic. And the question we've got um, is, would you feel comfortable attending the theatre or a live music concert within the next one to two months? So would you feel comfortable attending the theatre or a live music concert within the next one to two months? And let's see um, what our response is. Just a very quick, quick straw poll at the beginning of this webinar. That's interesting. So at uh, the present moment, 67% uh, uh, say yes, 33% uh, say no. So that's 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 an interesting. Does that surprise anyone in the panel that that people are feeling that positive about going out? Well, I'm just delighted. Surprise me at <laughs> I think it's um, I think it's quite interesting those polls because it really does depend on the region and demographic in which you're operating within. Particularly if you're a small local arts centre, um, you know where, where you have a perhaps more rural and older demographic. I think we've had slightly different results um, compared to to other places. So. That's certainly been my experience um, in the sense that we've 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 found it really breaks down uh, along demographic lines, along age lines. I'm in a situation now where I'm trying to get my choirs sort of back up and running and the people who are, are willing to attend rehearsals with with all the risks that entails um, uh, tend to skew younger um, but in my choral society which uh, tends to skew older it's going to be a bit more of a challenge and so we are going to be having to consider these hybrid um, sort of things where we've got something happening live and, and something happening online. Well, thank you very much. That's really interesting. I'm sure we'll, pe we'll tease out some of those those points as we as we go along. Um, Jane, just just moving on to you with uh, your opening uh, question. Um, freelancers, in particular, are really suffering as a result of COVID nineteen. What support is available from the government and from arts organisation, indeed from other sources, to support freelancers? And could should we be doing more to support them? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I think the government's made a very valid uh, effort with a lot of its schemes and especially uh, concerning freelancers, there's the self-employment income support scheme, which has, has buoyed up um, a, a lot of freelancers who've been waiting uh, until their their particular art form can restart, and so that's that sort of kept people on on life support uh, a little bit. Of course, it's it's a temporary thing. It's a it's a sticking plaster. Um, it can't last. Uh, forever. And uh, even then, there have been quite a few who uh, fall through the cracks and, and have not been eligible for that support for all manner of reasons. And there are plenty of, of um, singers and musicians who've fallen into that category, too. I mean, certainly charitable organisations have seemed to have been making every effort possible um, to, to look after their freelancers, to honour contracts uh, where they can, um, just for an example, in the field of cathedral music, a, a new trust has emerged, Cathedral Music Trust, which has tried to step into the gaps in funding um, 
caused by uh, places of worship having to close and uh, losing a huge amount of their income a lot of the time, which is from tourism. And of course, uh, you know, the, the great thing that these places do is, is training up um, young uh, children to in, in music and uh, as choristers. And so that's something that the Cathedral Music Trust has stepped in to say, well, we, we'll help you know, keep that going for you while your while your income is down. So there's been a huge effort from uh, the charitable sector to kind of keep things going. And I think those that have the resources to do so have stepped up to try and offer work to people who've um, who've been missing out. And I think that that's been hugely encouraging. Um, and uh, you know, in, in uh, Christchurch, where where I work, we've um, set up a, a commission scheme so that we can commission some composers uh, to write new music um, upfront. We can, you know, we can pay, uh, and then you know, eventually, when we're able to perform, we'll be able to perform their commissions. But just recognizing that people who haven't had those opportunities, that the the, the government has done some, but really, I think what's been really impressive has been the, the charitable sector stepping in. It's wonderful to hear about those initiatives. And again, we might pick up um, some of that a bit later on. Let's move on to, uh, to, to Luke. Um, Luke, as well as individual artists, there are institutions that play a really crucial, important role in our cultural life nationally and beyond. Do you think the government and indeed society at large is doing enough to safeguard the future of arts at this level? Well, I, what is enough is, is my response um, to that. It is, uh, I, I don't think there, there is ever enough. Um, there is always going to be someone who, who needs more. So I think uh, in incredibly difficult circumstances, I think the government uh, anyway in the UK um, has done uh, a huge amount uh, with its cultural revival fund, um, which to be honest was a, far greater sum of money than I think any of us dared to hope. Um, but will it save everyone and every organisation? Uh, no, it, it won't. Uh, and I think that is is absolutely impossible uh, to do. Um, but but I think it has been, uh, you know, the pandemic has been a, a huge problem uh, and a challenge for absolutely everybody. But um, particularly, I think, for performing companies, um, ensemble companies. Um, and, and at the top of that list, I would put, because it's particular interest, the, um, the ballet companies. You know, if they cannot perform together, um, then um, it, it's not something that's created in, in a season or a, a year or two. You know, it takes generations to build uh, these, these companies. And I think that, that is a real, a real worry uh, and then generally speaking for the performing arts, um, you know, social distancing and um, the performing arts uh, just are incompatible. They simply, you know, will never ever be compatible. Um, and until we are brave enough, and I think that that little um, poll you did earlier on was really encouraging. Um, I mean, I, I think the arts, the arts are the oxygen of civilization. Um, and, uh, you know, only water is required more, in my view, by many people to make life worth living. Um, and I think we will gradually just drift back. We will learn to live with this and we will get back into the concert halls and into the performance spaces because, 
it, it is part of our DNA. And we can talk about all the wonderful things that have happened through technology. Uh, and I, I wouldn't belittle them, but it ain't the same. And we also have to remember a, a horrific statistic or an interesting one I read recently, that a third of the world's population has yet to make its first phone call. So we're talking about Zoom and we're talking about all, all, all this use of technology, but billions of people do not have it at their fingertips. So we mustn't assume that that is going to be the new normal. Um, because if we do, we're, uh, we're just cutting out huge, huge numbers of people. Quite apart from the fact that um, this conversation, wonderful though it is, is not the same as it would be if we were all in the same room. Um, and and I, I just don't, don't think it's a replacement. It's great to get us by and amazing things have happened, particularly uh, with creative artists in the last five, six months, amazing. But tell me, if you were to tell me any of you, we're never gonna get back into a theater or concert hall, um, I'd probably just go out and get very, very drunk. <laughs> not a good, not a good idea. <laughs> well, that thank you Luke, for that honesty, and it's obviously something we think a lot about at Cumberland Lodge. We exist to bring people together for discussions, and uh, uh, so we we feel that that pain of not actually being in the same space. Um, and this is very much a make do. Although in the long term, I suspect we'll be doing some more hybrid things to to draw people in and get people from from Perth uh, involved in, in some of our things here. Um, we do have two uh, local art centres represented here. So, uh, and I know they do, do some wonderful work. Um, I'm gonna ask Jessica and Jane what your hopes and fears are for South Hill Park and for Norden Farm in particular, because I think they're under pretty much a lot of strain at the moment. So what, what up to you who goes first, but what are your hopes and fears for your art centres? Shall I go first, Jane? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, fears. I think, I think the, the fear, the thing with art centres is, is, is certainly the two that I'm connected with and South of Park particularly, um, is at the moment, you know, we're drawing on all the, the levels of support that we can through the government and, and, and so on and so forth, making funding applications. And actually, that's helping a, a, an enormous deal. Um, we've recently launched a fundraising campaign and our supporters and our, our local community are coming out and, and making donations and supporting us that way and really, you know, really rooting for South of Park, really hoping that we're, we're here in the future and, and making their donations to keep to keep us here. But actually, if there's a really slow return to normality, the crunch point is going to be next year. It's a, it's a little way off in the future once those schemes aren't available anymore, once that, that willingness to donate has perhaps passed its peak. I think that crunch point comes next year. And if that return to normality is, is slower than we would like, we're going to really feel that pinch next year. What we need is for it to, to, to maintain its momentum, to keep pace, so we can bring people back into the doors, whether it's to use the bar, the restaurant, see the gallery, whatever it might be, and then gradually introduce those live performances, obviously in a safe way, um, but get those tickets back on sale so that we can keep going. Because if we can't do that, um, soon, then that's when it becomes a, a real, real problem. And also, we want to maintain our presence in the community. We're there for our, for our regions, for our localities. And if we can't do that, then um, 
then we sort of feel like we're, we're not fulfilling our purpose and our mission as an art centre. Um, so, so I guess that's the fears um, and, and, and learning from the experience. There's lots we can take from it, obviously, um, being open minded, being fleet of foot, um, engaging in, in all manner of ways, digitally and, and face to face. Um, and my hopes are that, that that we see some proper investment going forwards, that we don't see where, where right across sectors there will be struggles for, for money and funding, I'm sure, but that that doesn't keep falling at the, up the feet of the art sector, um, because that will just be just awful. Um, and that through the lockdown experience, people have really gained a greater understanding of what arts can provide, because I think people have have got through lockdown by engaging with the arts. And I think if we lose the fact that we've we've brought perhaps more people on board and we and we don't continue to engage them and retain their interest, then we've missed a trick. So I guess that's my hope is that we can do that well. Thank you, Jane. Gosh. <laughs> well, we uh, we open with our first live performance on Sunday. So um, so we are hopeful and, and I'm really happy that um, all of our live shows in September are sold out. So I'm very hopeful. But, you know, you've got to do the maths. We've got a socially distanced auditorium, which means not only have we got less ticket income to be able to share between ourselves and the artists, but of course, then we've got less secondary sales as well. And art centres are incredible places they work on such tiny tiny margins and reach so many people and do so many great things but the balance can be the difference between one one film one good film can can make your month i mean it's, it's that small and so when you alter any of those <laughs> When you change the capacity, when the when the when the main features aren't being released, when artists have decided that they're not going to tour at all this year, I'm going to talk about our international artists, and they're not going to come back till next year. It makes our fragile <laughs> ecosystem, our mini ecosystem, you know, even more fragile. So I am very worried, and Jessica's absolutely right. It, it's next year that the crunch point comes. And um, we've already had to take the decision that at least for the next couple of months from being a seven day a week operation, we are going to be just four. Mm -hmm. And that obviously has massive implications for everybody, but it was the only way we could literally make things add up. And, you know, Norden Farm, along with um, nearly ev every other uh, venue in Berkshire, um, lost its Arts Council core funding back in 2011. So we've had to become really entrepreneurial. And we went from a situation of where um, over 50% of our running costs were covered by public subsidy, and now it's 14. And that's taken a number of years. But of course, it's made us super, super vulnerable because we earn our own income. So if we haven't got people coming through the doors and we haven't got people hiring the space and hiring the spaces commercially is something that I know all of us with venues do to help subsidize the important work that we do. So if those hires aren't happening then, um, and we don't have core funding, then the picture becomes really quite grim. Mm. So that there is anxiety, but I guess the hopefulness has been the support that we've had from the community has been incredible. We've managed to continue the majority of our projects with 
disadvantaged groups throughout the summer. So that's working with looked after children, that's working with socially isolated older people, that's working with children with life limiting illness. And we've managed to do that throughout and people have really valued it. So we know we are valued, we know people want to come back but there are still so many unknowns, aren't there? So we have hope that there's, we've felt surrounded by a lot of love over shutdown, uh, but we are anxious about the future. Thank you very much indeed. We've been talking um, about the local and community. I'd like to look um, more broadly internationally. And Luke, um, the Royal Academy of Dance, I know from your visits to Cumberland Lodge is a wonderful uh, global institution. You've got you just cover the, cover the whole world. I guess you're seeing things from an international perspective. And are there things that you're seeing through uh, the Royal Academy of Dance's international work that might help support the arts in this country? And are there things that uh, in this country that we could do to support people uh, around the world? Uh, goodness. Well, yes, uh, the Royal Academy of Dance uh, operates in over 80 countries. Uh, worldwide. Um, well, I th what's what's coming through? First thing that's come through to me um, is the resilience of dance teachers, uh, the resilience of uh, the young people who are uh, learning uh, dance um, in in all sorts of setups uh, around the globe, and the. Um, the instant, almost instant ability, once we had had to shut down, to move on to uh, online uh, teaching um, was, was, was really quite extraordinary. Um, the other thing is that we began to see um, sort of green shoots, if you like, um, a few, well, really about a, a month and a half, two months ago, um, when activities began to open up again in places like China and Hong Kong and New Zealand uh, and Australia. And yes, there have been um, hiccups and, and local uh, lockdowns um, when studios have to close again. Um, but um, it is really reassuring uh, to, to know that, for instance, our examinations, which are our, our core income earners, so that's really important to us, um, are beginning to, to happen again. Uh, many of them, yes, by video, uh, but by no means all. And so what we do get as, a, as an international organization um, is a, a complete range, if you like, of where people are um, during uh, and, and in this pandemic and dealing with it. Um, and, and, and there are those that are coming out the other end, and that is really reassuring. And, and there are those who are still uh, really pretty, pretty sort of locked down and, and not able to do very much. Um, I, I think, it, it, it being more specifically trying to answer your question, I, I think it's probably at the moment too early. I think we'd all make mistakes if we try and um, to learn too many lessons quite yet. I think we need a little bit more experience of this. We need to come out of it a bit more uh, and we need a little bit of distance to really assess what, what, what are the lessons? What are we going to, what is the new normal going to be uh, about? Rather than 
rush into it, rush into changing the way we operate um, based on what we think the new normal uh, might be. So I think we have to be quite cautious uh, in that respect and in instigating any permanent changes to the way we all operate simply based on the experience of the last five months, which have been pretty grim, um, any more than I think, you know, in 1945, people, um, you would have been thinking very sort of differently um, as the blitz came to an end um, about how the future might be than you would be in 18 months later or two years later uh, when life probably began to look much, much more hopeful. So uh, that, that's, that's what I would say. Thank you very much indeed. We're going to take now a question that's come in from someone uh, joining us online, indeed from uh, a Cumberland Lodge scholar from Christine O'Donnell. And perhaps I can direct this one initially to James and then open it up for the panel to respond to. And uh, uh, Christine asks, how can arts organisations work in a genuinely collaborative way? And can you give examples of projects that worked well or give an example of a project that presented a learning opportunity because it didn't go as planned? So maybe going forward, we, there might be opportunities on pressures to work collaboratively. And uh, what can we learn from that? So, James, over to you to have a go at that one first. Thank you. I think, uh, yeah, uh, collaboration has, has probably been the thing that has generated the most interesting work uh, in, in my field and uh, in my opinion, in, in certainly in terms of uh, choral music and uh, music presentation over the last few months. Um, and what that's been has been collaboration between um, performers that are used to a very uh, kind of formal way of, of presentation in the, in a concert or, or in a church or, or what have you, um, uh, being forced to collaborate with videographers and um, people who are more skilled in the online presentation of uh, of music. And so, what we've ended up with is some some quite interesting projects that have used video for what it can do rather than what it can't. Not a simple filming of a concert presentation, um, but one which uses video to explore uh, almost in a, maybe a slightly more documentary style, um, the music and, uh, and where it's come from and, and sort of tell a story with it, which is something that uh, visual media can do so well and, and can do in such an instinctive way for us. And so I think the learning opportunity has been um, for groups who are used to a very, uh, you know, a fairly conservative um, style of presentation and performance, having to uh, adapt to something that's that's modern and and very much uh, cutting edge. And uh, yeah, there have been some mistakes along the way. Um, certainly, there have been projects which have tried to use digital technology and and to sort of um, uh, not ended up quite at the quality that some of us would would like. But we we've come through that, and I think um, there are some there is some really interesting work being done now. And that's so it's cutting across genres as well. So I guess you know. Rock musicians may be used to multi-track recording studios on a daily basis. Classical musicians aren't, but they're having to move into that sort of world. Do you think there's more um, synergy developing between uh, different musical genres in, in this period? Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, um, uh, even sort of 
uh, within within myself, you know, that I when I was involved in in uh, rock music or pop music or whatever at school, and I was I was using multi-track software, and I thought, well, that's a skill I'm never going to need in in the real world. And then and then all this happened this year, and I found myself painstakingly assembling multi-track recordings that that my singers in choirs had made at home, and and using these these skills that I I'd, I'd never thought would actually find an application in uh in in my field and and yet and yet there they were so absolutely there has been thank you anyone any other other panelists have got examples of highly imaginative creative collaborative projects or things that have gone wrong uh, um i don't know about anything that's gone wrong but but certainly yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the direct experience myself, but the, the Royal Academy of Dance, um, the, the, this has led to much greater collaboration uh, with other other organisations. Um, uh, also, a, a little bit of healthy rivalry. You know, when you see on the screen um, a sister organisation is doing X and you hadn't thought of that, you think, well, come on, we, we can do that as well. So um, there's been some quite useful competition as well. Um, friendly, friendly competition, uh, and that's all uh, a very good thing. Um, but I think, and, and hearing uh, James talk just now, you know, I, I, I have been, I'm, I'm just a, a boring administrator. I'm not an artist and I can't create anything uh, except meetings and agendas, basically. But um, I think to, to see what creative artists have been doing throughout this has been nothing short of wonderful and inspiring. And it's, it's another reason why I, I just don't believe this pandemic is, is going to get us down forever. Um, the, the, the human spirit and, and led by creative artists is utterly astonishing and staggering. And, and it has risen to this occasion in the most wonderful way. Um, and that leaves me hugely optimistic. Jane, are you going to say? Well, I was going to say, for me, the collaboration hasn't been so much on the... Um, creative side although we've been doing lots of projects with lots of different artists um for me personally the the most um helpful collaboration has been between organizations and between venues and um you know we're like all of you we're part of lots of different networks but i've never really felt their incredible worth until now mm. so organizations like the music venues alliance absolutely extraordinary network that represents grassroots music across the whole country so incredibly supportive these huge zoom meetings with maybe 200 different venues happening at the same time people sharing ideas people sharing knowledge people sharing skills you know this also happened in the the family arts networks also extraordinary in in house which is a regional theatre network so seeing all these different venues who and yes there often is a lot of rivalry between venues because there's not much money to go around but people's generosity just knocked me sideways they were incredible and not only did people share what they were doing in their practice but also they were so supportive and you really felt part of um the arts industry family as it as it were so for me that was the the most important thing I think there's something about um, partnerships with other non-arts organisations as well. I mean, I've spent, gosh, 
15 years everything I've done has had to be in partnership with with others it was sort of the nature of, of the work in a way um, and just before lockdown Southall Park particularly were, were looking to make an application to the Arts Council Creative People and Places scheme which was a, a large fund they could apply to but that, that required them to work in partnership with the people in the place being Bracknell um, and they they'd formed a consortium of, of, of five different partner organisations and they were the only arts one the others were commercial um, volunteering community some diverse groups in there as well and actually the strength that each of those groups brought in order to um, try and reach new audiences and and and, and increase that diversity of, of participation um, was yeah it, it had huge potential it's a, sh it's a shame that it, it couldn't go forwards but there's something there about this, the skills expertise and networks that those other non-arts organizations partners can bring to help you all um, meet your various missions but reach Greater, a greater number of people um, as well, which is really, which is really good and obviously um, worth doing. But it's very encouraging that this collaboration is existing at different levels, artistically and organisationally, and so on and so forth. And I guess pooling of resources, maybe merging, mergers, etc., will will come out of all this. But um, on the downside, if that that sort of doesn't happen, uh, then Clearly, lots of institutions are under threat. So one of our um, viewers has, has put this question to, to us anonymously. Do any of the panellists know about any examples of organisations who have had to close down due to COVID? And how do they think it could have been avoided? And if so, how? So one of anyone's got any examples that they've witnessed thus far? Um, Yes, so if I, I just come in briefly, um, it's it's an interesting question because lots of organisations have closed down or have closed down part of, of their operations. Uh, in the very early weeks, um, uh, one of the big artist management uh, companies uh, went 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 down. Um, and then later on, we've had a situation where um, a number of churches uh, in, in London, who um, uh, many people won't know, actually supports uh, professional uh, singers in, in their choirs, um, have had to um, or, or have decided to, um, you know, uh, get rid of that, that part of their organisation. The question really is whether that's been solely motivated by, by COVID or whether, um, you know, this, this has been a decision that was going to be taken anyway and it's just been accelerated by the situation we've, we've been in. Anyone else want to respond to that uh, that question? I, I, I think um, I, I can't cite examples of organisations, arts organisations that have actually gone under, but um, I, I think that there are many that are clinging on by their fingernails. Um, and uh, so I suspect that there, there will be more bad news to come on that front, probably. Um, because I, I, I just think that there are so many, um, I mean, hearing Jane talk earlier on about the fragility of, of her ecosystem, if you like, um, you know, we're, we're all in sort of similar situations. Um, there are very few of us who've got massive reserves um, that, that we can call on. Um, even those organizations that do have significant reserves um, have probably Use most of those reserves up, so I think I think the the next year or so is is going to be really really tough for for many people in the arts. Um, but 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 I can't think of any other section 
of, of the community uh, that is probably more determined or better able to deal with huge adversity than the arts because we, we've never lived in Clover. Um, it's, it's always been tough. Uh, we're completely used to it. It's just slightly tougher than usual. <clears throat> well, Hampus Angst is highly creative. So uh, <laughs> let's just move on to um, another quick poll just to get a, a feel of, of, of how people who are joining us uh, feel. So our second polling question uh, this morning is, is the COVID-19 pandemic an opportunity to find more innovative ways of engaging diverse audiences with the arts and the music. So we've talked about innovation in technological terms, but is it enabling us to engage with more diverse audiences? That's the question. Let's see what people think. Silence as we wait for the results. Well, there we are. 100% say yes. <laughs> That's interesting. So um, I just wonder whether anyone's got a, uh, any, any other panellists who've got any examples of sort of new audiences emerging from, from the people they've been engaging with. Um, I, perhaps I could just ad attempt to um, uh, come in there, uh, Ed. Um, I mean, I think that uh, what we have seen brought to, to the forefront in a way um, is the power of, of the arts to connect communities and to connect people. Um, and yes, that has been largely driven uh, by, by technology, uh, but I think not entirely. Um, and, and, but but I, I do think um, we are probably now even more, uh, if we ever doubted it, aware of the power uh, of of the arts and particularly uh, music, uh, dance, and the visual arts, which are a completely international languages. Um, there are no barriers there, and technology has has also um, enabled further barriers, physical barriers, uh, to to be breached. And, um, and and so I think I think that is is really wonderful. And then I think the other thing that uh, we found certainly at my organization um, is uh, how uh, mental and physical well-being um, that can be helped and supported by an involvement with dance has also become really, really important. And we have a, a wonderful Silver Swans program, which is uh, bringing uh, dance to older people, um, and and the numbers of people who have uh, engaged and switched on to that during the pandemic uh, has been absolutely extraordinary. Which which makes me feel uh, that that there is um, a really important connection that the arts have and can have uh, to mental uh, and physical well being, uh, particularly uh, in times of of stress. Thank you. Anyone else want to, to come in on this one? Yeah, for, I mean, it's almost like the pandemic has just made our case. We, I mean, we all know in the industry that the arts have the power to transform lives and we know how beneficial it is for our, our mental and physical health. And we all know that. And it's, if, it's as if the whole world knows that now. People have absolutely 
bought into it and they understand how transformative and important taking part in the arts are. And, you know, we've we've done lots of little projects over the years, for example, um, social arts, where we work with socially isolated older people and we track, we gather statistics around physical and mental well-being so that we've got some stats to go back to funders with but we know this stuff we know it happens and and it's if as if the whole world has really got on board with that now so that you know public prescribing of the arts as a way of tackling some of society's ills is is going to be the norm it's not going to be just one little council doing it somewhere this is going to be how people address some of the ills of isolation and well-being so in that sense i guess it's done us a service that's again really really encouraging and i guess the i mean over the last few years we've become much more attuned to to mental health issues and uh and broader issues of well-being um, do you see this as you know the, the, what we're experiencing now is clearly um, is clearly making the case as it were? How do we keep that momentum going in the long term? Do you think? Yes, there's a there's a challenging question, um, <laughs> and I'm I'm really uh, no, I'm not sure I know I have a short answer to that. Um, I mean, I, I think, as I said earlier on, there will be huge lessons um, we're all going to be learning from this experience. Um, and uh, and that itself, you know, if, if an experience like this, a challenge like this, doesn't lead you to think uh, long and hard and deeply about what you're doing, how you're doing it, and why you're doing it, um, then then there really is no hope for us at all. Um, so we need to use this as and turn it into a positive experience um, and, and make sure that the benefits are not lost uh, and, and that the negatives uh, are dealt with uh, appropriately. Now, I'm, I, I, you know, we will all have different answers to, to those questions, um, but we've got, to, we've got to grow through this and we've got to emerge uh, stronger, um, more committed, more determined, and having found the answers to some of the questions and the challenges uh, that have been thrown up by, you know, what is, it's not quite existential, um, but what is probably the major threat of, of the last, certainly one or two generations, um, the last sort of 70, uh, 80 years. Um, and and it, it will be looked back upon as an absolutely sort of key uh, moment in in history, and every section of society is is affected and is going to have to adapt and change and grow through it. Thank you. I think yeah. if I can just come in now I think that that's that I agree, agree with all of that and I think if what we see as our mission or our role is making the case for 
you know, the, the value of, of art in everyday life and the value of art as something that should permeate society, then, um, then if nothing else, the last few months has, has given us uh, an opportunity to kind of refine the way we talk about that value and has provided examples of it. And we've talked about some of those. Um, and so it's, it's all ammunition. It all helps us um, refine our case, I suppose, um, the case that we keep having to make to, you know, the government for funding or to society at large um, to, to engage age with the arts and so anything that helps us refine that I think is useful. Yeah. Moving on to another question and I just reminded me the first time I went to the Royal Shakespeare Company I sat in the front row and got spat upon in uh, not deliberately but I got spat upon by David Suchet and it was tempting not to wash afterwards um, <laughs> because of uh, his projection and uh, we Steve Allende has been has been in touch with us about the challenges facing choirs in particular. So this wonderful opportunity to bring people together to sing together for this real issue about proximity. And um, perhaps, um, James, you might tell us some of the ways that you're thinking around, around uh, you know, uh, uh, oral transmission of, uh, of, of COVID. Gosh, yes, where to start? I mean, no, this is very much my, um, uh, my constant companion at the moment. I've got risk assessments um, sort of coming out of my ears at the moment. And it's so, um, you know, I, I'm not qualified uh, to, to summarise the, the science, um, uh, but, you know, um, to the extent that we understand it, obviously um, we, we've, we've come to a, a greater understanding, but we know that um, anything done at a high volume, whether it's um, breathing heavily or speaking loudly or singing loudly, uh, generates, you know, an exponentially larger um, uh, number of, of aerosols uh, and particles which could potentially be uh, be carrying the virus around. And so um, the mitigations that, uh, that we're having to put in place in order to be able to come back are things like, you know, um, ventilation, making sure that spaces are incredibly well ventilated, obviously social distancing, a very important part of it. Um, and so what all these risk assessments are doing are trying to work out in a given space, what can we do to minimize the risk to everyone? And in the case of an, an 100-strong choral society, such as the one that I run, it's simply not going to be possible uh, at, at present for us to meet in the way that we would have done. Um, but what we're looking at in a couple of weeks' time is probably a small proportion of the choir meeting in person and then live streaming that, um, uh, you know, on, on video um, to, to the, the rest of the choir who can't join us either because uh, the risk level is, is too high for them um, or, or for whatever other reason. So, you know, things, we, we are able to put strategies in place, but uh, it's not going to be normal for a, for a, a good long while. Could, could, Ed, could I just um, turn the tables a minute and ask a question of, of uh, well, all, all of us. So do we think that the arrival of a vaccine, a readily available vaccine, will, will suddenly change all this? Will, will your choir be able to meet 100 strong? Will shows start up again with full houses will will there be a sort of w w once that vaccine is out and about will will life get back to something and approaching normal that's a good question open it up to the others or are we well, too confused by the experience I, I don't want to, to, to dominate, but I think very quickly, I, I think people are, I mean, I went to the, I went to the cinema uh, last week for the first time in, 
you know, goodness knows how long and uh, the queues were around the block. You know, people are desperate to get back to normal. I yeah. think as soon as I think as soon as a vaccine is available and then, then I imagine people will come flocking back as if this never happened. Um, well, at least I'd like to think so. That's uh, well, that's what I hope too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's certainly what we hope at Cumberland Lodge, um, but I think we will certainly um, take the lessons of, of, of the um, digital dimension that we've been doing over the last few months to think more about live streaming and involving people. I think that's definitely what we would do here. But Jane, you, 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 you've got an art centre that's, uh, that's working in a mixed <coughs> environment. You, you must be desperate for getting uh, bums on seats, put it bluntly. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for the artists as well, because it's really hard for the venues, but my God, the artists are suffering as well. You know, we, we've got so many people who just, they, they just haven't worked. And whilst, you know, as a small art centre, we do most of our deals on box office splits. So if we haven't got many people in the house, because we haven't got any core funding to back us up. So if we haven't got anybody in the house, then, you know, we divvy up the box and there's not going to be much there. So we desperately need this to happen. But the vaccine coming on, <laughs> coming on board in the, I don't know, soon, I don't even dare think about it at the moment because I just, I, yeah, it's just, uh, it's such an unknown, isn't it? But I, I agree with the other panellists that there is an appetite. People want to get back out there. We, as humans, we want to be with other people. That is our natural state. And being involved in the mm. arts is, is, is the most pleasurable part of living, isn't it? That's what we all believe. And being able to be in a space live, with the artists, with other people, connecting in that incredible way is something that we all desperately miss. So, fingers crossed. Let's tackle one final question and tease it out a little bit. And I think Luke has already said we can't, uh, we can't deal with this question yet, but let's have a bash of thinking about what the new normal use that dreadful phrase might look like in the arts so uh, let's assume we get back to some sort of uh, uh, normality but how is it going what, what's the art sector going to look like maybe you know 18 months two years down the line what do you what do you think we might, might be facing oh gosh gosh well <laughs> shall, I, shall I have a go to start the ball rolling um, so so I mean, I just have to express what my hope is on, on this. Um, and that is that um, we, we are back in 18 months time to being able to go to live performances of absolutely anything and everything. Um, and that the, the venues do not have to be um, socially distanced because I think as long as social distancing um, is is the order of the day, then I think it remains, uh, I, I think the, the performing arts um, of every kind will only be operating at half uh, half speed and, uh, and I want them to be operating at full speed uh, again. So I think that we all just have to pray and hope that circumstances change to the point where people feel safe and secure and encouraged to go out once again 
um, and and to circulate all the things Jane was saying. You know, so right about the natural the natural desire of human beings is to be together, is to communicate, uh, is to interact, um, and and it that's got to happen again. It's it's got to happen again, and I I, I think. To be honest, I can't see how it won't because it is such a fundamental need uh, of, of the human condition that we will find a way of getting back to that um, and dealing with, with whatever the obstacles are that are being put in its way. And Luke, do you think the, you know, having been having gone through this really horrendous starvation of the arts or and or whatever, and uh, or new a uh, new way of dealing with it, we'll, we'll come back with more vigour. Once we can get back, do you think that the value of the arts will be seen more? Um, do you think more people... Well, I, 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 would, I would certainly hope so, and, and I would expect so. Um, and I think, um, can't now remember if it was Jane or James was, was saying how, you know, th this, this situation has led people to realise, um, those who didn't before, um, how really important and vital uh, the artistic life of every community uh, actually is. It, it is, as I said earlier on, it is the oxygen uh, of civilization, um, and and there's no, you you cannot get around that. So um, I, I think there will be a greater appreciation. Um, I think you know we're always told that very often we don't value something until we've lost it. Um, we, we 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 we're close to having lost it. Um, and I think, therefore, we have really come to realise um, how vitally important, you know, at every level, at the top level, just for sheer entertainment um, and, and, and giving us some fun and enjoyment. Um, and then, of course, it goes right the way through to much deeper, more fundamental uh, levels. Um, and, and, and the arts plays to every single part of of uh, human human nature. And you can take whatever you want from it, uh, from surface to the very deepest. And that's why they are so important and why they're so wonderful and why I'd rather go to a theater and a concert hall than a football match. But that <laughs> is being uh, contentious. <laughs> Jane, how about you? What, do you? what are your aspirations as it were for with, with Norton's Farm? Well, I mean, gosh, it's going to look very different, isn't it? I'm just thinking about our performance on Sunday, our sold out performance on Sunday. But for us, the sellout is uh, we're going to have 85 people in the room. And you know what? They're all going to be wearing face masks. And it's comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it will be. Well, can you have, you could also you, you need to have different masks with its comedy or tragedy with a <laughs> absolutely. I mean, how how are you gonna make people laugh when you can't even see their faces? Luckily, we have a very skilled stand-up, Mark Watson, who's been doing stand-up around the country in car parks as um, drive-in comedy. So, I mean, if anyone can get it to work, it's him. It's going, so it's going to look very different. Our, our lovely, cosy foyer where people come to sit and meet and talk and we have things like talking tables where people discuss film and, and sort of different craft sessions that happen there. You know, that's all going to be gone. The, the furniture will not be there. There will not be places for people to sit and 
get together and meet up. Physically, the buildings are going to look very different for a time, but it will be just for a time. And hopefully, you know, this time next year, we'll all be able to get back together again and say, do you remember? Do you remember what it was like then when we were so worried, when we didn't think that things were going to pan out? But look where we are now and people have come back to the arts with even more vigour and gusto and appreciation. And like a phoenix, we will rise. And the arts are the most resilient part of the of the of the world and if anyone can make it work you know it's this industry so yeah james one thing we haven't talked about is open air performances and you're going to be at cumberland lodge very shortly with an open air performance but i've been told not to push it too hard because <laughs> it's sold out uh, but um apart from performing in open air what do you how do you see the future for you yeah, it's uh, well. I'm, I'm glad we got the plug in there. Uh, well done. Um, that's <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, apart from this sort of the practical uh, element, uh, I suppose uh, my broader hope for for the new normal um, in in terms of how we how we think is is in terms of how we think about arts more generally. I, it would be it would be lovely if if this sort of increased awareness of the arts, if there is one, uh, and I and it seems like that, that there is, would would somehow start a, help start a national conversation about how we encourage the arts and maybe even how we fund the arts and maybe even how we can support artists in a in a way that that means there is a there is a support um scheme you know it, we've in other countries in europe they've had uh, schemes that support artists when they're out of work for for many years um or or that support artists whose work is very um requires a very long lead time and doesn't make very much money you know if we can have some sort of conversation which helps decouple um, you know, the process of making art from, from the sort of world of economics uh, and towards some sort of, I don't know, even some sort of basic income uh, for artists. And I'm going to throw a contentious bone in there uh, just at the very end. Um, you know, I, I think if we can start having those kind of conversations on the back of this, then I think um, then that would be really helpful. Well, there we are. Some really, really fascinating uh, observations there. We could, uh, we, could, we could go on forever with those discussions, but unfortunately, Fortunately, we need to bring things to an end. Can I thank everyone that's taken part uh, in this webinar? And just say our next webinar will be on the 18th of September, not at our normal morning slot time. We're going to be having this one at 3.30 on the 18th of September. And we'll be in conversation with the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, and Dr. Joni Willett, Senior Lecturer in Politics and coordinator, a co-director of Cornish Studies at the University of Exeter. And we're going to be discussing with them um, from different regional perspectives, themes and recommendations that have come out of the new Cumberland Lodge report on resilient communities. The arts are important in resilient community resilience, and that maybe the arts will get picked up there. If you'd like to get alerts about forthcoming webinars, you can sign up to the Keep in Touch page on the Cumberland Lodge website, or simply email us at inquiries at cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. And you can find out more about the work of Cumberland Lodge on our website, cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. I feel bad about saying this last, this last sentence, really, but like all charities, Cumberland Lodge is facing difficulties at the moment. If you've enjoyed today's event, if you'd like to support our work, indeed support the arts as well, um, but if you want to support our work, do 
consider making a small donation, you can do so online via our Just Giving page, uh, and we'll put up the link immediately after this webinar. Thank you all, and thank you especially to our wonderful panellists, to Jessica, who's had to leave us a bit early, uh, Jane, James, and Luke. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.